fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and you, we will be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Amen. Okay, well, welcome. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. I'm um, excited to pray with you. I'm happy to be in the parish here at Lourdes. I want to welcome anybody who's not a parishioner here at Lourdes or who hasn't been here before. Know that you're welcome here. It's a great parish, um, a place of prayer, and um, a lot of sanctity. I welcome all of you saints from Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, Paul, Paul used to greet the saints in the places that he had been. And he knows people, and he knew that they weren't perfect, but that uh, there's something about the presence of God in people that just makes them saints. It's objective. Um, it's just true. Uh, there's something, I think, very beautiful about recognizing that, and I hope to recognize that often in uh, interacting with you. And I hope that we all sort of reverence that in each other. This should be the kind of place where we recognize that, um, that the Holy Spirit dwells in the people around us, even those annoying people that are around us. <laughs> uh, in, yeah, in a very mysterious and profound way um, that, that we have reverence for. That word reverence means I am humble enough to accept the truth of something that I don't always um, perceive immediately. I just know that it's, it's true, and I want to acknowledge that. There's reverence for God is this great mystery. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's something about the, the Christian life that says... Um, you are great. I want to know you. I want to be in your presence. I want you to live in me. Um, but I'll never, I'll never conquer you. I'll never control you. I'll never figure you out. Um, it's this great mystery that calls us on. Um, a beautiful mystery to enter into. Okay, so today there's a, a bit of a plan. I'm not one for schedules, but that's helpful for people. <laughs> So uh, this is what we're looking at. There's, you've got a handout. If, you'd have it, if you don't have this one, I think it could be helpful if you grab it. Um, there's a few prayers that we're going to look at, some of the uh, points that Ignatius gives for prayer, some of his method and um, his schema of prayer. Some of his ideas are outlined in the, the handout. And then there's readings in the middle that um, we'll reflect on and we'll use for meditation. The, the schedule is on the first page, so if you look at that, um, it's really just two conferences with a, a mass in the middle. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a break between times, so I'm looking at this fuller schedule that says uh, from uh, at 8.30, the first conference will begin, and then at 9.15, we'll have some time for question and answers for 15 minutes. So uh, know that there will be time for questions and answers at the end of each conference, of each of the two. Um, then we'll take a break, and uh, I just ask that because we'll have mass after the first break, that um, we're not going to have breakfast and snacks um, after that break but we'll wait until after Mass, and then we'll feast. 
so there will be mass and then a break, and then uh, we'll start the second conference at 11, and, uh, and then question and answers again at 11.45, and then we'll end around noon. Okay? That's the plan for today. Um, the, the two conferences are going to really address um, the two, two kind of paths that are the, the foundation of Ignatian spirituality. Um, Ignatius was a master of the practical in the spiritual life. And um, his way was very successful in part because um, it was surrounded by grace. <laughs> but um, also, it, it's, it's very simple. It's very accessible. And that's why I love it, and that's why I like to communicate it to people, because um, I think his way is extraordinary, extraordinarily profound, but it's also the kind of spirituality that isn't um, difficult to understand how to follow it. So if you, you have someone like um, uh, Therese of Lisieux, she has a very simple and beautiful way that is, uh, you know that one, the little way? Yeah, have, do little things with great love, all right? That's a beautiful way, and it's a, it's a beautiful, practical, and simple way to kind of go through life, but it requires this constant vigilance, you know? You always have to be assessing, oh, how, how, do I, how can I love? How can I love? And for me, uh, I get very distracted very easily. Um, I have attention deficit disorder, I've been told, and uh, I also um, have lots of bad habits that um, uh, just kind of lead to distraction. And then I think we live in a world that's very distracted, and it keeps us very busy. So um, I find that, that way very profound and a good idea, but hard for me to live. Uh, there's others that are like, you go to, uh, like the way of the contemplative, the, the Carmelite contemplatives, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, um, the, the great Spanish mystics. And they say, go away to a monastery and then spend hours and hours in prayer uh, seeking God. And you'll kind of go up this ladder of, of grace and awareness. And their way is a profound and beautiful way. But I don't live in a monastery. I have to write a dissertation. And then a lot of people ask me for a lot of things. And so there's lots of distractions. But they're good distractions. Oh. Um, they're the right kinds of distractions. Uh, there's a lot of good things that keep us from being able to be, um, to be able to be monks. Oh. That would be beautiful if we could, but you have families. Those are very good things. Um, you're called to love them. Oh, it's part of your vocation. I have a parish that I'm called to love and pray for and worry about and um, talk to people, get to know people. This is, uh, these are good things. As part of God's will for, for my life, part of God's will for your life is that you've been called to live for him. So one of the things that I find very appealing um, in St. Ignatius's method of prayer is that he, he calls it a contemplative life in action. He wanted to train missionaries to be contemplatives in action. And he was very serious about both of those aspects that the Christian life should be contemplative. That is, it should be filled with meditation and prayer, specifically mystical prayer. It should be filled with encounters with God in prayer, something very real and tangible. 
And, uh, and that should inform, eventually, our action. But our life, um, for, for Ignatius, he was called to promote this life of action. And for many of us, we're, we're called to live a life of action, to be serving the Lord in our workplace and in our families and um, in, in the local parish, um, in our neighborhood, right? So I think that this, this way is... Uh, this way has been chosen as the sort of foundation for the spiritual life of diocesan priests in our day. In our, in our seminary, we're trained on the Ignatian method um, so that the priests will hopefully be contemplatives in action. And I think it's a perfect spirituality for uh, most Catholics in uh, contemporary America. And um, so I try to promote it everywhere um, that I can. I've been teaching this for a number of years. I teach uh, the exercises to um, young and old. One of the beautiful things about the exercises is that anybody can do it. Um, it's a way of prayer that is uh, very accessible. I teach to children. I teach to, um, I just was teaching out in uh, northwest Colorado where there's a lot of gold miners, and some of my people were drug addicts, and some of my people are, um, were kind of the rough life out there. Um, Cross-culturally, it works. And um, there's, it, it's, just, it's just appealing to a lot of different people. I'm going in a month to go and walk through the exercises with uh, the missionaries of charity in Egypt the uh, Mother Teresa's sisters. So, and they're the most holy and contemplative people I know. But the cool thing is this, that Ignatius gives us a method that works for anybody because it works with a human being and it works in the grace of God. Um, and it's simple, you'll see. Okay, so he's got two major ways, um, two major paths that he sort of focuses on. And the first one is what I will call the, the path to inner peace. Um, it's a path for him of resignation. It's a path of, you might call it surrender. It's a way of giving over our life entirely to the Lord and saying this, everything that I am belongs to you. Everything that I have belongs to you. That, and, and he says that if we live that way, if we can do the work and he considers it a long work. This isn't a day's work. This is a long work. Look at the building of, they, I was living in Rome. They say Rome was not built in a day. Have you heard that? Uh, we found that out about this church. <laughs> uh, that's true about your soul, too. God is doing a great work of beautifying and sanctifying your soul. But it takes a long time. It takes a lot of patience. And it takes a lot of work for him and for us. But this way of peace is that uh, it's transforming our, our life and our preoccupation from um, trying, to, trying to build up our life on our, on our own, using our own resources, and handing everything we have over to God to let him build. There's a beautiful psalm that says, um, unless the Lord build the house, in vain do its builders labor. Well, this is... Be giving everything over to God and letting God do the work. 
So it's, it's also a way of trust. Can you hear that in that description? A way of trust. Um, handing over. So that's the first way, and we're going to talk about that in this first conference. And I'm going to um, suggest some meditation that will help us to recognize uh, the things in our life that we can hand over. Now, this is where it becomes practical. Um, if, you tell, if you tell somebody to do something, you have to give them the tools to do it, right? And a lot of the Christian life, unfortunately, is a lot of ideals and principles. Go be a saint. And um, they're beautiful, but we don't know how. Like, what's the, what's the path? How do I get there? So th these, these exercises will help us to sort of recognize, uh, kind of assess our own soul, assess who we are, our own person, so that we can hand it over. And then also give us a sort of sense of God's call for us to hand it over. Why should we have confidence in him? Why should we take peace in him? Why should we, how can we rest in him? Okay? So we'll go through some of that. And then the second is uh, that Ignatius has uh, this, this point of action, and he, he characterizes this. If the first is a, a path to inner peace, a way to inner peace, the second is the road to glory. Um, glory is a big word for Ignatius. I don't know if you can see. If you turn back here, you see this thing that says AMDG. Can you see that? Class of 2008 or 18, 18, <laughs> thanks, uh, painted this thing over here. That comes from Ignatius and is the, um, the motto of the Jesuits. Those are, that's the group that Ignatius started. Um, it says, ad maiorium dei gloriam, that they want all of their thoughts, words, and actions, everything they do uh, to be dedicated to the greater glory of God. That's what that means, ad maiorium dei gloriam, to the greater glory of God. Um, their life is moving toward glorifying God. And that, that can mean a lot and a lot of, lot of things. So, um, again, we're, we're trying to get to uh, kind of set the goals up, inner peace, the glory of God, and our own glory, and then set up a road, a path. How do you get there? And that's the, that's the practical of, uh, of Ignatius. Okay, but those are his two paths, this path, of, this path of inner peace and the path of glory, and um, each of the conferences will kind of deal with those two, okay? Um, I want you to open this, let's open this um, handout to the back page. There's a prayer here called the Sushi Pay. And this is a prayer that is traditionally attributed to um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, but uh, it's a prayer that he prayed often, that he promoted, that he had um, everyone he directed in prayer pray uh, frequently, but uh, it was probably not written by him. Um, it is a perfect expression, however, of his uh, spirituality and his goal. And I think it frames the first... Um, First way, this way of inner peace really well. So let's pray that together. Do you, have, did you find that? Take, Lord, and receive. Okay, let's pray that. Take, Lord, and receive on my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it.
Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer of offering. It expresses both uh, the, the way, take, Lord, and receive everything, all of myself, and the goal. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. To be content. To be... Um, try the, the image of, that Jesus uses in the Gospels. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know? That heaven is for children. That there's something about children that relies totally on the security of their parents, the provision of their parents, that they'll provide for them. The kids don't worry. They're happy. They're at peace. Your love and your grace is enough for me. Kids can say that about their parents. You know? um, and that's the call for every Christian. Now, the problem is that we grow up, and life is tough, and we have to, we have to make our way. We have to guard our own. We have to um, take on responsibilities that require a, a lot from us that kids don't have, right? Um, we have to provide for somebody else and, uh, and for ourselves. And the, life is kind of precarious. But Jesus says you don't have to live in a state of worry. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in resentment. All the things that can come from life in a fallen world. Um, you can live like a child. You can ha reach this state that says, only your love and your grace are enough for me. Well, that's a beautiful goal. It's a beautiful place to long for. Um, a beautiful place to rest in. And it's a real hope. Um, you can get there. That's the, that's the amazing thing about the Christian hope. Um, that Jesus is the way to existing this way, a different way, you know, a whole different kind of life that isn't preoccupied but is content with the love and grace of God. But we have to give up everything and lay it on the altar. Um, St. Paul has this thing in Romans 12.1. He, he says it this way. Let me find this. Romans 12.1. He's talking about new life in Christ. That there's a different kind of life in Jesus. That's um, an invitation to the Christian. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a lot like what Ignatius is saying. Give your life over as a living sacrifice. Put your life on the altar. Give it over to God. Holy and acceptable to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is that you might come to know what is good and acceptable and perfect, and you might uh, live in a way that shows to other people what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, that there's some sort of renewal possible, and that this, is, that this is like a project for the Christian throughout our life is um, 
kind of a, a difficult challenge, but also a beautiful adventure. It depends on the way you look at it. Um, I, I know that Ignatius does not want us to live um, in, in fear and judgment of ourselves, in worry. He's trying to give us a path out of worry. Um, the, the, the irony, I think, is that a lot of Christians end up worried. And that people look at the Christian community and say, I know that can't be true. Because they say that there are, there are people of inner peace, and yet I know a lot of Christians who are worried. And are worried all the time. Will I be saved? Will my people be saved? What about the world? What about, look at all, this pro, look at all the problems. Ah, this is, uh, it's a goal, you know. But Ignatius doesn't want us to be judging ourselves all the time. Uh, he doesn't want us to be looking. In fact, Jesus says, you cannot judge yourself. Uh, Paul says, I cannot judge myself. It's very important for us to recognize that we cannot judge ourselves. That's going to get us in trouble. Um, it's going to, to kind of reveal the things that we don't want to see and, and get us in trouble. So um, I want to point out Ignatius's first principle. He's, here's the goal of human life. This is what he says the goal of human life is. Look at the first page on, with the retreat schedule. So Ignatius says, if you, want to, if you want to walk the ways of inner peace and of uh, unity with God that gives God glory and um, that sort of lets God's glory live in your life, then we have to set our goal in mind. We have to recognize the proper end of human beings. Um, and he, he calls it this. He gives us this first principle and foundation at the beginning of his exercises. He says, man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. Okay. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. Now, this is very different than um, other possible explanations for the goal of life. You could think that the goal of life is to um, have as much fun as possible. You know, this is some, a lot of the kids talk about, or they used to. I don't know what what they talk about now, but um, this YOLO. You know the YOLO. The young people know the YOLO. You only live once, and that is for a lot of the kids an expression of the futility of life. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The best way to approach it is just to have as much fun as you can. You know? um, this, this sort of sense of life, the futility of life, was known to human beings for a very long time. And even the Bible, the Old Testament, recognizes this. If you read Ecclesiastes, um, the great wise man Solomon is there saying, I tried everything. I tried to learn everything. I tried to know everything. I tried to be good. I tried everything that people said is the goal of human life, and it's, it's uh, vanity, a waste of time. The only thing worth doing is to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, that's in the Bible. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of an expression of if you try to find your own, um, I don't know, make your own way, to, um, that if, you put to, if you invest your life in success, or in the joys, or in the pleasures of life, in um, power, or honor, 
then it's, it's futile. You're not going to be satisfied. You're not, that's not what life is for, and you will feel it. Um, you could say life is, um, life is about happiness. It's about living a balance. It's about living a sort of virtuous life that is not, is not excessive and that this would bring you happiness. It's relative peace in the world. It's a way to appreciate people and a way to, um, to kind of live your life every, every moment. You wake up in peace. You kind of walk through life with this sort of order and stability and uh, there's a certain level of satisfaction. This is what Aristotle called eudaimonia. It's, um, it's also translated happiness. He thought the goal of human happiness, this was like the wisest man um, without Jesus, Aristotle. And it's a good goal. It's like you should strive for that, this sort of balance of life. But it still has no end. You die. So your relatively satisfied you know, life that's not out of control like the people who are just seeking pleasure uh, still has no end. Like, what purpose does it serve? And he, he, like the others, would say that there really isn't any purpose. There's just a way to sort of get by, and there's better ways than others. Ignatius is saying that there's a different way, that Jesus offers us a different way of life, a different goal in life, and that we're capable of praising, reverencing, and serving God, and um, working toward the salvation of our soul. And that... That's what's going to bring you satisfaction. That's what's going to make your life meaningful. Um, that's what's going to give you hope for eternal life. You know? That it transforms, that Jesus offers us this transformation from thinking that I have this little tiny life that is going to last my 80 years. Uh, the Psalms say 80 years for those who are strong. And then uh, you're going to die. So you you know, get yours, figure it out. Have as much fun as you can. Get as much power as you can. Be as successful as you can. Um, yeah, I, you know, live it. Christian lives with this whole different thing that says, I'm already dead. I died in baptism. That was very early for me. I don't know about y'all, but um, <laughs> I'm dead. And I have a new life. And that, that new life is going to last a very, 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 very long time. Um, so this life, this 80 years, isn't just my only chance. This is something else. This is a possibility to sort of set a stage for the rest of it. I don't know. It's almost like this is a womb. The earliest Christians used to say... Um, they marked in the catacombs. I lived over there in Rome, and in the catacombs, they marked uh, the gravestones of the Christians with their birth date. But we know that it was the day that they died. It was the birth date into eternal life. And they really thought of this time as a preparation for that, which is real life. You know? Our real life is in the future. This is hard to understand, but it's... Um, it's it's the truth of the Christian life. It's something that we can live in, a hope that we can live in. And it transforms the way that we look at life. That ultimately, 
um, life isn't just about um, doing the best I can, getting as much attention as I can, um, just struggling to, um, to do good. Even people, I think it's, it's one of those Aristotelian sort of values to say, do as much good as you can in the world. That's beautiful, but it's a human kind of principle. I think it's good. Do as much good as you can. I, I like that. I support that. Um, I'm only critiquing that because it's limited, because it's not just this world. And you'll get frustrated by the project of if you, if you only think that this world and its perfection is the goal. Um, this world's up and down. Things fall apart. Uh, your projects, all the good you do. One of my favorite saints is St. Ansgar. He was the missionary to Scandinavia, and I've got uh, Swedish blood. Uh, he went and he converted some major kings in Scandinavia, and, and the pagan culture converted to Christianity. Uh, as soon as he died, they reverted to paganism for 200 years. Um, but he had, he had done something that set a stage, that, that planted a seed. And then when the Christian missionaries came back, all of Scandinavia um, converted to Christianity and sort of abandoned that old way that they valued, you know. Um, something had changed. And we live in this mystery. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ. So we don't always know the fruits of our, our action, you know. And we can't set our hopes on this world. Um, St. Paul says, anyone who sets their hope on this world hopes in vain. You know, set your, set your eyes on eternal life. Live for that. The um, problem is, we don't know what that is. We don't know what it's going to be like. Um, how can you predict that? How can you set goals for that? You know? If, you, if I said, well, you're going to have to build your own house, maybe you'd start to learn how to build houses. Huh? Uh, but I don't know that. You know, the Father provides us a house. But, um, if... All we know is that it's a place of perfect love. So what we can do is train ourselves in love. And then we'll, we'll feel comfortable there. We'll be at home there. Um, if we don't achieve our goal on this side, if we don't get there, to this place of perfect love that is ready, that's okay because there's purgatory. <laughs> and we're going to be refined and our hearts made perfect. You know, It's kind of a funny place. I think we have a lot of... Uh, need for reflection on what is purgatory, because it's, it's a place of, of perfection, of becoming perfect. It's a real gift from God, but it's, it's going to require our giving things up. So Ignatius says, give it up early. Just get rid of all the things that you're clinging to that are going to disappear in this death, in your new birth. Give it over. Hand it over to God now. Start as early as you can. Um, take, Lord, receive all of me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to point out two pictures that are very um, Ignatian, kind of define part of Ignatius's prayer. I think often enough, um, see, I'm, I kind of tend toward the intellectual. I like to read books. I kind of came to know Jesus through a lot of reading and a lot of um, thought. I really love and celebrate the truth of Jesus Christ and um, the beauty the, of this big, coherent, mysterious 
kind of system of truth that is the Catholic doctrine, the deposit of faith. And um, I love that stuff. But Ignatius tries to move us from the head to the heart. And so he, one thing he was teaching his, his people frequently is that you're going to spend some time in books. They were um, scholars and uh, university professors. They started a lot of the first universities in the world. But he said, uh, I want you to, um, to live in the heart. You know? that this, the soul is a sort of connection that integrates the head and the heart. And so one, another way of um, coming to know God is in reflection on beauty. So he has these primary images in this church where um, he founded the, the Jesuits that has some art that I have prayed with for a while and um, I think communicates some of his way. So I want us to look at those. On the ceiling of this church in Rome uh, called the Jesu, that's Ignatius's church. He started this little band in Paris, this band of brothers, there was like 10 of them, who um, all dedicated their lives to Jesus and then walked this particular way of prayer that we're going to learn and um, started transforming the whole world. And then everybody in Rome, uh, the Pope said, I need you guys. I need you to be missionaries, and I want to form you in Rome. And he gives them a church that was soon decorated, renovated. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit fancier than Lord's. Uh, it's in the Baroque style, the style of its time. One of the themes of the Baroque was fantastic. It was this uh, glory of God. It was a picture into heaven. When you looked at the ceilings of Baroque churches, you got to see heaven. And in the Jesu, named after, what is the Jesu? What do you think? Yeah, it's the name of Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's the Jesus Church. Now, every church is the Jesus Church, but there was something about the name of Jesus that was the, the focal point for reflection. And here, you can't see it in this picture, but that's almost better because it's very, very faint in, uh, in the painting. But in the center of this light, the sort of sun that shines, are the letters I-H-S, which are Greek letters for the name of Jesus. It's a shorthand for Jesus. Um, here's the name, the glorious name that is powerful in heaven and glorious in heaven, that shines on the world. That shines, um, St. Luke has these beautiful hymns at the beginning of his gospel. Uh, Zechariah prays one and then Mary prays one. And Zechariah announces that that uh, the Lord is coming to shine on those. He said, well, no, I'll start with the dawn. He says, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. The, this Jesus that is coming means that the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, this way of peace comes from the light that comes into our life from Jesus. Well, shines through the darkness. That, uh, that image gives us the image of a world, it's also used by John's gospel, uh, image of a world that's dark. You know, if we turned off all the lights and then said, uh, something is terribly wrong, don't panic, uh, you would probably start running into each other, <laughs> destroying things. Um, it would be scary. This is, this is the image of the world. You know, um, something is terribly wrong, don't panic in the dark. Uh, you need the light of Christ. And it changes things. It opens our eyes. It allows us to be who we are. 
um, the glory of heaven. And it guides us. There's something beautiful and inviting about this light, the glory of God. Uh, the second one is original images from this church. Before it was the Jesu, this church was the, the church of Our Lady of the Streets. Um, and this little image that's above is in a left atrium in the church, this little Marian chapel. It's beautiful. And this was very important for Ignatius. Not only are his, his uh, missionaries going to live for the glory of God, seeking the light of Christ and seeking to be the light of Christ in the world, um, but they're also going to, to live that through a life of service and humility in imitation of Our Lady, um, the Lady of the Streets. Okay, I'll come back to this image and the second image, um, but let's look. At, let's kind of focus on the first and uh, walk through some of these um, meditations that are going to invite the Lord to enlighten the darkness in our life, to show us our lives, so that we can hand it over to Him. Okay, how's that sound? All right, um, you can meditate on these. I'm sorry that the quality of the pictures is not perfect. Um, yeah, on this side we get blurry stuff. In heaven you'll get perfect stuff. <laughs> Go to Rome, pray in this church often, it's great. Ignatius's relics are there. Um, Saint, Saint Francis Xavier, one of the greatest missionaries in history, uh, baptized lots and lots and lots of people. And his arm is incorruptible and it's there <laughs> on display. Very strange, Catholics are strange. <laughs> Uh, that's a celebration of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's walk through. I'm going to have us walk through. Let me look at the time real quick and see what we got. I want to be respectful to Maria Francis. Oh, no. All right, we don't have a lot of time. Let's do this. And um, we'll have a slightly shortened question and answer. Are you brimming with questions? Okay. Um, this is an important point of reflection, I think. So, Okay. So the first is um, simply this, this image of the dawn from on high that, that I've, I mentioned. This comes from, um, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. In the, in the wisdom of the church, it has all of those who pray the liturgy of the hours that's required of all monks and nuns and priests, um, all those who have the time to uh, promise prayer, the church has them pray and has for centuries and millennia um, the Benedictus, this prayer of um, Zechariah, the song of Zechariah in the morning, and then the Magnificat, the song of Mary um, in the evening with Vespers. And so it really sets the tone for the day. And this is the morning prayer. It says, uh, yeah, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. It also says that Jesus has come to give us knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins. Okay. Now, this is something that distinguishes Catholics from other Christians, that um, we have perfect confidence in the salvation of our souls and that we are going to heaven. Now, not every Catholic knows that, <laughs> unfortunately, but because Jesus has died and you have been baptized 
he has closed the waters of sin and death behind you. You're already dead. How can you die anymore? Um, he's saved us. And we live in an incredible confidence in the salvation of Jesus. But we also live in a process of becoming more and more aware of what that salvation means. And in so doing, uh, we receive the salvation of our souls, kind of in anticipation of heaven. Um, the salvation that has, has been won and is absolute, is going to happen, starts to take place in our life. So one of these expressions is here, um, to give us knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins. That as we recognize what it means that Jesus saves us from our sins, we uh, grow in knowledge of salvation, and it changes and transforms our life. It gives us the peace. Um, so the church invites us throughout our lives to reflect on the sin that is part of our life, the sins that we commit, but I think often and more often than we should, we kind of focus on these, the bad things that we do. That's sin. That is real sin. And we got to confess that. It's important for us to be trying to address those things and not be in habits of sin. Um, but sin describes the evil that we live in. And that includes a lot more than just the bad things that we do. Um, it includes this this evil that exists in the world that affects us and, and makes us suffer. And then also something um, very profound about um, the life that we've sort of inherited, our genetic makeup can be prone to sins, particular sins. Um, our subconscious can be filled with problems, uh, scars, wounds, um, and there's a lot there underneath. A lot of times that stuff affects the way that we act. It can um, create these symptomatic sins. If you have someone that you resent for a very long time, uh, someone that you hate, and that you've chosen to forget about, so you don't think about them often, it's not up, it's not up here. You're not even aware of it, but it's down here, and it's in the subconscious. It will affect your life. Um, but Jesus saves us from all of that. And he's in the process of saving. He wants to save us from everything. All the evil in our life. All the darkness. All, the, um, all that's negative. right? And there's a lot more than we sort of realize. Um, this is very different than saying that if you look deep enough, you'll find out that you're bad. That's not it. That's not it. You'll just find out that we're all flawed. And we're all limited. And that the Lord can change that. It should be a hopeful thing, okay? So the Lord invites us to look at our lives and say, where is it that you could bring light? You know, What are the dark corners of my life? So I, wanted, I want you to ask yourself that. Now, there's space here for notes. Don't lose this if you're writing your personal notes. <laughs> or you might not want to. I don't know. You can share this with people. You get to a point where you feel very comfortable as a Christian saying, you know, the Lord is providing or has provided. These are things that have happened and I am um, at peace. You know? um, but I want you to think of those. What are the dark corners? 
the places where you're ashamed, the places where you feel guilty, the places where you hate yourself, um, the places where you hate things that have happened in your life. Um, right? So the Lord shines, shines a light on those places in order to invite us, give those things to me. Trust me with those things. Trust me with those places. Um, I know you don't want to go there. Um, I'll go there with you, and I'll bring light. And he can transform um, everything. He can transform even the worst trauma. I've seen people who um, were terrible drug addicts and violent people whose lives now glorify God. And even that place, even that circumstance in their life glorifies God. I've seen people who have been scarred by being at war and the trauma of that, who have returned there with God and been transformed and can and, and live profound lives that are informed by how God can bring hope into darkness. These things can work for the glory of God. Okay, so the dark places. That's one of those things that I invite you to reflect on. A second is uh, Jesus' Jesus's invitation to come away in uh, Mark 6.31. This is Mark 6.31. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read it from the, from the text here. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a, lonely to a lonely place and rest a while. Come away with me to a lonely place and rest a while. Now the invitation to the Christian life is not an invitation to an easy life. Okay? This is like, it is a way of peace, but it's a way of peace that can be, um, it did not appear that way at first. If you want a way of escape, kind of detachment, you should take up Buddhism. Um, that's a better way of escape. It's straight detachment. It has no goal. You just take everything you're attached to and say, no, I don't care. I'm just not going to care about anything. And you will feel, you'll feel more peace, but you're not going to end up caring about anything. <laughs> Our goal is to care about yourself and other people a lot and about God. You know? Love of God and love of neighbor is the ultimate goal for us. Um, you enter into this life, you follow Jesus, and then you might, like the disciples, feel yourself um, surrounded by a crowd, busy with concerns. Now, I gotta pray, I gotta you know, love the people around, I gotta do all these things. Um, there's a criteria that we judge ourselves by. I gotta stay busy as a Christian. Um, things, there's demands. And those are real, you can't really get around that. Jesus lived with that. But he takes time to get away and rest a while. And he takes his disciples that way. And he says, I invite you to live this way. Come away and rest a while. Leave the crowd. Leave all the good things that you're doing. Leave all the service that you're doing. Just to be with me in a very quiet place. Um, it's going to feel at times like you're being lazy if you're praying. It's going to feel like you're being unproductive. And that's going to make you itch. Uh, come away with Jesus and rest a while. So the point of reflection here is what's not giving you rest? <coughs> what keeps you from rest? What keeps you restless? What needs to be done right now? What needs to be changed? 
You can think about this in, at different levels. What needs to be changed in society? What bothers you about the world? If you don't, um, if you want some help with this reflection, just um, turn on the news. You can pick any channel, really. <laughs> uh, what's wrong with the world? What bothers you about the world? It makes you restless. What's wrong with your, um, with your relationships? Your network of relationships, your parish, your families, your friendships. What would you change? What are you preoccupied about? This, you know, this makes me restless. I got to do something. One way to look at this is, um, what is, what is it about yourself that makes you restless? What needs to happen? If you got a really long bucket list, you're probably a restless person. You know? What's got to happen? What's got to happen by the end of this day? What's got to happen by the end of this year? You know? Um, those are real things. They're not necessarily bad things um, to have goals, to have desires. Um, Jesus wants us to give them up in order to rest a while with him. That's how you enter into prayer. Rest with me. Um, take, Lord, receive. Okay, so that's the second one. And Jesus gives us a little help um, reminding us that he, um, he lives this way and that he offers um, a sort of response to this. If you come away, you're going to, uh, you're going to meet this Jesus who uh, speaks of himself this way. This is Matthew 28, uh, 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. If you find yourself taken up with the Christian life and feeling like, oh, this is so hard. Keep trying to go, 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 and I just don't know if I'm doing it right. Whatever. Just rest with Jesus. I am gentle and lowly. That means I don't have big ambitions. There's not big stuff you have to do. I just want to be with you. Let me live in you. No? Um, not more, more, more. That's not... That's not this Jesus. You come away and rest with me. Okay, that helps us to pray. Um, finally, this, this line from Jesus in Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, in um, the last two chapters are this, this vision of the world and all the preoccupations of life. It's symbolic. It's very strange. That's the book of Revelation. And um, he says, this is the whore of Babylon. This is destroying the world. This is what the problems that you live with, that you're in the middle of. He's giving this revelation to his beloved John. Um, but here's the reality. Here's a bigger reality. God is replacing all of this with a new Jerusalem. And then it, the book ends with this vision of a new Jerusalem descending from heaven and taking over the world, becoming present. The light of Christ in the center and um, beauty everywhere. No more tears, no more problems. Um, this is reality. It's a bigger reality than the one that you were staring at with the messed up world. Um, and he says this. He, he, uh, he, John sees Jesus and Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. 
It's a beautiful line. That's uh, Revelation 21.5. Behold, I make all things new. And you can ask yourself a, uh, this question for reflection. What do I want made new? If I could envision my perfect life, um, what would it what would, it, what, what would be different? What would I want different about my past? What would I want different about my life right now? And how would I want my life to go in the future? Okay. The paradox here is, of course, that this is not a uh, self-help seminar. <laughs> It kind of is, ultimately, but it's a better one than the average, um, where I'm not going to help you get yours. God is not trying to get you to be successful. Um, he's not trying to destroy you by any means, but there is an invitation for you to let go of everything, all of your life. Offer it to God, and then see what he offers back to you. That's the way of Ignatius. And he says that's the way of inner peace. You say, Lord, you take it, and then you tell me what I should want. You tell me what needs to change. You make all things new. You bring light into the things that I guard in the darkness. Handing everything over to him, and it's a way of peace. Now, it's not about success. You'll hear that. God helps those who help themselves. I think that's one of the most demonic verses of the um, common parlance, you know, it's terrible. Um, there's something about, yes, you have to work. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll learn that for the glory of God, you have to do stuff. Um, this is contemplatives in action that we're seeking to become. Um, but this is the first step. This is the way of inner peace. He says it's detachment. Take, Lord, receive. I long for the place where I can say, um, only your love and your grace. That's enough. Um, that's hard. I want to finish a doctoral dissertation, and it bugs me all the time. Um, it's hard to detach from things. It's hard to hand them over and to trust God. Um, so this is a lifelong project, and I don't want to suggest that this is just now, but this is our moment to get away and to look at life and to at least... Uh, practice, begin to practice making that offering, or you can have it all, um, and then to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Okay, so that's the first step. Uh, take, Lord, receive, and uh, a few points of reflection. You can keep reflecting on these things. Um, Ignatius says, if you find something delightful that really speaks to you in prayer, or you hear something that really speaks to you, um, each of these ways might respond uh, to your personality differently. You might have a, uh, really connected with an image or something. Ignatius says uh, repetition, well, he uses the old term, repetitio mater memoria est. This is like repetition is the mother of all learning. That, uh, you go back to these graces. God wants to speak to you there. He tried to get your attention there. Um, and if you go back to that, it's going to pay off. You know, he's going to use that. Sometimes we get inundated, lots of information. Father Mike said lots of things. I wrote down lots of things. But pay attention to what it was that God told you. He grabbed you with some sort of point, some sort of image. You know, and pray with that. Okay, 
I don't even think we have time for questions, but I'd like to take a few. Oh, no. I do this. Um, <laughs> are there, is there anybody with pressing questions? Okay, yeah, we have some. Yeah, supposing you are a successful accountant mm -hmm. for Coca-Cola Corporation. Is this a hypothetical? A hypothetical. <laughs> okay. Far from what I am. <laughs> but uh, what prevents you, in light of St. Ignatius, from bailing out? From bailing out of? Being an accountant for Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he would never say that you have to do anything. Um, Jesus told, he walked up to a guy, you remember the rich young man? He walked up to this guy, and that's Mark 10, if you want the reference. He, he says, um, you're only lacking one thing in your spiritual life. You take everything that you have, you sell it, you give it to the poor, and then you come follow me. Um, there's debate over whether that's normative, but I don't think it is. I think that was a, Jesus talking to that soul, saying this would be good for you. Um, Ignatius is trying to give us a way to listen to the voice of God and to, to discern. So if Jesus comes to this guy, he's going um, to give the, the accountant a cell phone. And if Jesus calls that cell phone and says, I want you to be a missionary in China. You are a successful person. I want to use your gifts differently. Then he has to do it. He has to bail. Now, I mean, he has to. He'll be saved. God loves him. He'll be fine in heaven. But there's more glory in following the, the will of God. Um, but he's not saying, I mean, the, the difficult part here is that we're trusting all of these things to God and knowing that God loves us. So if we think that they're helping us to take care of ourselves and make our happiness, God might give them back to us. So at the height of the most radical point that, of Jesus' invitation to detachment, you remember he says, unless you hate your family, I think that's the most radical and difficult one, no? Unless you, and he's really saying hate your attachment to the wrong things, your over-attachment that keeps you from being free. Uh, unless you have absolute attachment from everything, um, then you cannot follow me perfectly. And... Um, but this is, you, you have to know, that this is trusting in God and doing it with prudence. Um, we have to know that God loves us and loves your family. So if your children are very important to you, God will not take them and say, okay, you have to be, I have to separate them from you. No, he's going to take care of you. He's going to love you. So it's, it's a scary thing to give up everything including, yeah, our employment, our career, our future, our loves, our friendships, our, our family. But it's, it's trusting that God cares about those things, not only as much as we do, but more than we do. And he will provide friendship. He will provide love in your family. And in fact, it'll be better for your relationship with your, um, with your people and even in the, your own peace of heart. Um, but it's not, yeah, that part, especially if you have a lot. This is part of why Jesus said it's easier for, it's very hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of God because it's hard to give things up when you know they're really good. Um, 
And that's not just rich like money. That's part of it. But that's rich like you have great things in your life, like these wonderful relationships. You have these great things in your life, like uh, a lot of knowledge. You know? And what if you offer them up to God? And what if you say, I don't, I don't need this. I just need your love and your grace. That was scary for me. I'll give you a little witness. I, I was kind of like this. Do you, do you know that parable of, of Icarus, uh, I- Icarus, the myth? He's flying, he's flying, he asks for wings, he gets his wings and he flies and he flies and he flies and he flies too fast and too high and his wings burn up next to the sun and he falls and crashes and he's miserable. And um, I was told to go to Rome and they said, oh, you got this really good brain, you should go and study and you're going to glorify God with this, you're going to serve the church real good and see how far you can go with that. And I was pushing and pushing and it was exciting and I was really excited about this and I um, got to a point where I hit a wall and I said, well, I don't want any of this. Like, where am I? And I got very, very depressed and, um, and hit a wall and actually kind of broke the brain that was really good. And <laughs> it became very hard for me to do what I had invested so much of my sort of worth in and my identity for a while. And a part of my healing has had to be Lord, if I can't do any of that work, if I can't think anymore, then I can still love you. I can still glorify you. Um, your love and your grace has to be enough for me today. No? What if I can't finish these things that I started? What if I can't serve the church the way I had hoped to serve the church? No? Um, but it's, it's a way of peace. The other, the other alternative is a way of a lot of anxiety, and I know that all too well. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that uh, resignation. Does that answer? That's a long answer to your good question. Yeah. Okay, any other questions? Are we ready for a break? Um, before John gets up, I want to thank um, all of those who have contributed for the, to the um, organization and setup of these retreats. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background. Uh, John O'Brien has done a lot of work to organize the retreat. He's one of our uh, great, great staff here working um, to organize things and to connect people and to invite people. Uh, I want to thank him. I want to thank Maria Francis. She's in the back. Um, she has done a lot of the organization for this, a lot of the setup. She helped me with the schedule, and I don't do schedules well. <laughs> so I desperately needed Maria. And then um, also the musicians. We want to thank them um, for their generosity and volunteering. So, um, OK, take a break. Enjoy the break. Uh, feast on some great. No, don't feast on anything. <laughs> Yet. No, really, don't feast.